Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 11. I'm your host, Otis Jiley. And in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you. Courtesy of author J.R.T. McMahon. About creepy ceilings, dangerous decisions, malevolent mysteries, and evil effigies. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs) There's an old song, Someone to Watch Over Me. 
In our first tale tonight from J.R.T. McMahon, there may be no singing, but there's definitely somebody or something keeping an eye on our young friend. Without further ado, I present to you Stars on the Ceiling. I was always so afraid of the dark as a kid. I used to think that there was something wrong with me, the way I would tense up when I could no longer distinguish my bedroom walls from the floor, when it all became a uniform sheet of darkness. As I grew up, I came to discover that I wasn't alone at all. It was only natural for kids to fear the darkness that even some adults were wary of it. I also discovered, as I grew up, that not everyone had a father like mine, a father that would go out of his way to put me in that darkness, a father that would pull my new night light from the socket by my bed and smash it to small plastic bits under his heavy boot. He'd tell Mother that I must have broken it somehow. I could tell that she knew he was lying. Her eyes looked sad all the time. She'd try to help me any way she could, always ushering me off to bed when Dad stumbled through the front door. I remember thinking that he looked so tired the way he swayed from side to side as I used to after soccer practice. I used to think the bottle in his hand was like the juice box Mother would give me when I looked exhausted. Every night it was the same. Mom would leave the door open just a crack so that the light from the hallway could slip in and vanish the dark corners. But every night my door would end up shutting, often before I was able to fall asleep. I could always tell who closed it. If the light slowly disappeared until I heard the faint click of the door lock, I knew Mother had shut it. After she closed the door, I could always hear my parents talking back and forth rapidly, unable to make out their words. They sounded like muffled dogs. Mom was just trying to help when she shut the door. What's the point of letting the light in when the dark slips through anyway? When Father closed the door, it was sudden and harsh, the door meeting the frame like a car crash. It was almost as if my father wanted to make sure that I would wake up from the sound of the door shutting so I could wake up surrounded by the night. I was always too afraid to get up from the bed and open the door again. I could never have been that kid that got to slip through the hall to sleep with their parents. I'd only tried it once when the voices began. It was after my father slammed the door shut that I opened my eyes and laid silent on my bed, staring off into the dark. In that silence, I could hear them, small whispers, filling my room like a cold breeze, much like when my parents would argue through the walls. I could never make out what was being said, but I knew those voices were not my parents. It sounded like there were dozens of them, all chatting to each other, a cacophony of secrets that plumbed into my eardrums and rattled my heart. I convinced myself that facing my father was the lesser of two evils, and slowly climbed out of bed. Opening my door, I walked timidly down the hall. I felt like that hall leading toward my parents' room stretched on forever when I was a kid. 
the house's architecture giving me every chance I could to turn back. My small hands pressed open my parents' door, but they weren't sleeping. Dad was sitting on the edge of the bed while Mom was curled up in bed. There wasn't much time to turn around, my dad's attention snapping me back uh, faster than I could think. I had enough time to see a collection of juice boxes by my father's feet before he stood from the bed. I heard my mother offer a plea before the heavy footsteps approached me. His large open palm rested on my shoulder, and for a moment I thought that I was going to receive some comfort. Instead, I felt my father's immense strength pushing me backward and lifting my feet off the ground. My back smacked against the hall's hardwood floor, and before my approaching mother could cross the doorframe, I saw Dad swing it shut with such a force I felt wind press against my wet cheeks. I would have been able to sleep with the door open that night, but I ended up closing it again when I heard my parents barking again. I was so scared to sleep the next night, so afraid of the voices and my dad. But when I laid down in my bed, my father slammed the door shut. I opened my eyes to find the room wasn't so dark. Turning my head against the pillow, I turned my attention to the ceiling. I thought that my mother must have done it while I was at school. Above my head was my very own night sky, a collection of shining white dots that littered the ceiling, making it look like my room stretched into infinity. The lights were just bright enough to put my mind at ease. Instead of nervously observing every bleak nook and cranny of my room from that night on, I would stare up at the stars. I'd look at them until my vision got hazy, and I needed to remember about blinking, or until I would just pass out. When I looked at them long enough, it felt like I was watching them move, like the stars were rotating around the room. Sometimes my vision would get so bad it looked like the lights were flickering. I was so thankful for those lights. I wanted to thank my mom, but I figured she wouldn't want me to bring it up. It was enough for her to see me getting better sleep. She'd occasionally tell me how proud she was that I got over my fear of the darkness. Even though I hadn't really, if it wasn't for the stars, I would still be afraid. But she looked so happy, so I, I never told her. Seeing my mom happy wasn't something I got often, so I cherished that too. Night after night, those stars kept me company, and some part of me started to feel braver and braver. Even when I started hearing the whispers again, they just became part of the night. Another thing to keep my company. I even started closing the door so that my father didn't get the chance to slam it shut. And then the stars went away. I could never forget that night. As I laid in bed staring up at the tiny freckles of white dots on top of my ceiling, I heard a door slam. Not mine, but the front door. There were no whispers that night, so I could hear every heavy footstep. My parents started to bark, but the base of my dad's words was higher than I was used to. It felt like his words were shaking my bed frame. On my way back, I focused on the stars seemingly swaying above me as my mom's smaller footsteps raced up the stairs and my father's followed shortly after. I heard my mom gasp before there was a large thud in the living room. 
It sounded like when my father had pushed me down, but it was louder and definitely shook my bed. Even through the door, I could hear the soft sobs of my mother as she struggled to catch her breath. Sitting up, struggling to catch my breath as well, I could see the shadows shifting and obstructing the light from the hallways from the bottom of my closed door. My dad uttered harsh demands to my mom. She pleaded with him, still begging. I could feel the corners of my mouth lowering and my face becoming hot. I desperately wanted to do something. I felt it welling up in me and soaking my heart until it formed a lump in my throat. I looked up at the stairs again, my vision obstructed by the thin film of tears gathering. The lights looked warped under the filter of liquid that pooled until it streaked down my cheek. The darkness around those stars swirled too until it looked like it was reaching out for me. All these shapes returned to normal when I wet my eyes clean. Then I heard one more thud. This time it was soft and muted. I was reminded of what it sounded like when my foot hit the soccer ball, and then I heard my mother's air skipping her lungs. Before I knew it, I could feel the cool hardwood floor in my room pulling heat up from the bottom of my feet. Quickly, I made my way to the door and pulled it open, letting the room flood with the hallway's light. I didn't know what was going through my mind, probably nothing, but I approached the man who had my mother's hair clumped up in his fist. With all the strength my child's body could muster, I swung and my small, crumpled-up fist landed on his left cheek. I put everything I could into it, and he didn't move an inch. It was like he was made of stone or something. He turned to me. He was struggling to keep both eyes open, and his breath smelled like battery acid, but again, it was faster than I could think. His massive hands wrapped around my arms, and he picked me up off the ground with such little effort I felt like I didn't even exist. He smiled at me, an ugly and unkind smile, and through the slurred speech he mockingly called me a big brave man, before once again shoving me backward. This time, with both his arms and the height he had brought to me, my body soared through the doorframe and back into my room. I landed much harder, and my thin frame bounced off the ground before resting. My breath had been taken out of me completely, but still, my father stepped forward, presenting his massive frame to tower over my crumpled body. Leaning over, he brought his face to mine. I could smell the intense waft of alcohol in his breath. With each word he spoke, a sentence spoken through such broken speech, it was a wonder I recognized it at all. He told me that if I ever touched him again, he would kill me. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Lifting my head off the ground, he quickly pushed it back down, making it smash the ground. My vision jarred for a moment as he left the room, slamming the door behind him. All night I laid on the floor, motionless and hardly able to breathe. I felt so powerless and just prayed that my mom was okay. The entire time I watched the stars above me and listened to the choir of whispers until I fell asleep. Waking up as sore as ever in my mom's arms, I felt confused. The cool air was pressing against my face as my mother cradled me on the curb outside our home. I started to cry and look around when I noticed the red and blue lights alternating around us. She rested her hand on my head and told me to keep my eyes on her. I did, mostly, but it was what was behind my mother that I focused on. Real stars were hanging in the night sky above us. There were more whispers around me, but they sounded different. I could hear footsteps all around us, and the sound of running vehicles. I was curious, but I was so tired, and watching the actual stars miles and miles above me, I fell asleep, embraced in my mother's arms. The next day, my mother explained that my father had been taken away by the police, and she didn't think he'd be coming back. I didn't know how to feel, but I knew there was a ping of relief in me, something to distract from the pain in my body. Mother was absent a lot after that, always leaving the house. I thought that maybe she had to get another job since Dad was gone. She started looking happier as the days went on, and in turn, I started to feel happy too as my body healed. I was allowed to keep the door open at night so the hallway light could creep in, and so that I could make sure my mother's steps were the only ones walking up the stairs. Since I was allowed to keep the door open, I thought at the time that it made sense for my mom to take the stars off from the ceiling, even though I liked them. I didn't bring it up because things were getting better. Not until recently, anyways, where I learned what happened to my father that night. Years had passed, and my mother lived in that house for all of them. She started to age, and I went off to college. I recently returned to help her move her things. She was finally leaving that house behind. I was asked her to move over and get away from the horrible memories but she said she couldn't leave. She said she had memories of us in there, too, and that the house had a way of looking out for her. I'd laugh it off, but I was glad that she'd finally decided to make the move. 
Guess she didn't need a house that big all to herself anymore. So we went around the house boxing up all of her things. I went into the attic and found boxes of my old childhood toys. I sorted through the boxes, remembering the few chances I had to have fun in that house. I started to feel nostalgic for the stars that used to keep me company. I thought about how they helped me cope with the darkness and how comfortable they made me feel. Then that maybe one day they would help my kid get through the night, should I ever decide to have one, that is. The stars were nowhere to be found, though. I sorted through all the boxes and couldn't find a single one. Figuring she just threw them away, I climbed down from the attic and asked her where she found the stars. She looked puzzled, which wasn't that surprising. She was getting on in her years, and perhaps I needed to be more specific. I tried to remind her of the white dots that looked like stars uh, she put up over all of my ceiling to help me with the dark, that the stars even made me feel better about the voices I was hearing, the same stars she took down after Dad was arrested. Her eyes fluttered for a moment before she sat down on the bed and instructed me to do the same. She began telling me that my father was never arrested. That night, after he did what he did, he went downstairs, and my mother ran in to grab me. She scooped me up and pulled me into a room where she barricaded the door. She listened as my father ran around the house after noticing we weren't around anymore. He was far too drunk to even think that we were in the same room he slept in. She listened as he came back up the stairs, the steps nearly cracking under his frantic footsteps. My mother peeked through the door and watched as he walked into my room. He looked around, yelling my name, saying that if I didn't come out of hiding, that I was going to be in big trouble. Then he stopped and looked around the room, but with more curiosity than the anger he had before. Mom watched him slowly look up at the ceiling as if someone was calling for him. My dad stood there, framed by the door as he stood and stared at the stars on my ceiling. And then, my mother said, he started to lift off the ground. It was so dark in the room that it was like the darkness itself was pulling him up, and before she knew what to think, he was gone. She waited a moment, before cautiously opening the bedroom door and stepping into the hall. Each step took minutes to get through, she said as she made her way into my room. It sounded like it was far away, my father's screaming, but she said it got louder and louder until it crescendoed when my father's body dropped from the ceiling and smacked against the floor. In complete shock, my mother managed to dial the police, who also brought an ambulance with him but she said Dad was far beyond saving. She said that with a relief in her voice. She continued to explain that she had to meet with the police for a long time after that night, which was why she was absent so often. The police couldn't explain what happened, but ended up ruling out my mother as a suspect in my father's death because the police had no idea what his cause of death was. They said it would have been physically impossible for a full-grown bear to do damage like that to a body, never mind thinking my dainty mother could do it. She said the closest thing the coroner could liken the damage to was someone falling from a plane a mile up and smacking against the pavement. 
She'd never get the shape of him out of her mind, the way his body had folded and pressed into itself, the way bones poked through the skin and how his eyes had rolled back. Even when looking at the complete decay of life that was my father, she felt warm that night. She never questioned it. She'd been dealing with a monster that was my father since before I was born. And whatever monster it was that took him out of our life, she was thankful. That's when she said something that made my heart sink, but also filled me with a sense of familiarity at the same time. She said to me that something must have been looking out for you, and I couldn't help but picture them. All the beady white orbs that hung above my head every night I closed my eyes. The white shining dots and the endless darkness around them. I found myself strangely thankful for them. What I now know were never stars. I hope you enjoyed Stars on the Ceiling by author J.R.T. McMahon, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash McMahon. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-C-M-A-H-O-N. McMahon is not just a no-sleep regular, but a prolific member of the short story anthology community. You can find some of his works in such books as Sirens at Midnight and his own collection of terrors. There are horrors here. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave JRT a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. I once thought there were creatures living on my ceiling. Turned out it was just a psycho in my attic who liked watching me sleep. Sometimes it's just the little things that relax you. Decisions, decisions. We all have them to make. Some are easier than others, while some leave us wondering... What if I'd done that differently? Sometimes it's a good thing we never know, as the teller of J.R.T. McMahon's second story is about to reveal to us. Without further ado, I present to you Reruns. Have you ever laid awake at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering what your life would be like if you had made different decisions? If you'd gone left instead of right, if you'd said no instead of yes, do you wonder how big or small these choices needed to be in order to affect your life? Could something as simple as stopping for a moment to tie your shoes send your whole life into an alternative path? Could something as severe as a job change ultimately bring you to the same place as if you had never left your previous job? I'm sure we've all heard of the butterfly effect. The idea, if you could go back in time and alter your decisions, that it would alter the course of your life for better or worse. Like something as small as the butterfly's wings could cause hurricanes hundreds of miles away. It's an idea that's always presented itself in fantasy. 
But we seldom think about how we who are in the present are those butterflies always fluttering our wings, changing not only our lives in our day-to-day choices, but the lives around us forever. I would always lay awake and wonder, what if, until my brain went numb and I eventually drifted off to sleep. Just like the butterfly effect, though, these thoughts only existed inside a bubble of fantasy that popped whenever the sun rose. The thoughts plagued me for many nights, but they were always just flights of fancy. I always thought that if I didn't have the power to change things, that I would opt not to. It's a lot of responsibility to alter your life, and by proxy, others, and a lot of arrogance to assume that you'd make anything better. Sometimes I'd think about what would happen if I was able to go back and urge my mother to see a doctor faster, if we were able to detect her illness before it got too bad, before she'd eventually have to be moved into hospice. I don't know what was harder, seeing her leave her own home on a stretcher or packing up her belongings. As I put those things into boxes, I'd have brief memories of my childhood. Each object I touched, I could remember my hands, much smaller hands, running over the object trying to discover how it worked. Mom always loved how curious I was, said I was going to solve the world's mysteries someday. The memories faded, though. Every time I placed something into a cardboard box, I had to stifle the memory and move on. I don't even remember grabbing the TV, one of those old TVs that had layers of static over whatever you were watching. I just remember my forehead hitting the curved glass, my fingers wrapping around the side of it. The air in the house was so still. It felt like the world had stopped moving, just to let me sit in the moment. The corners of my mouth dropped like fishing hooks were dragging on them, dragging them down. My fingers shook, rattling the TV against my forehead. No words came out. Rather, my throat made sounds as I tried to choke back emotions. Sitting on my knees with my head pressed against the TV, I let those emotions flood into me, and they all spilled out through my tear ducts, rivers running down my face and dropping onto the white carpet below. After however long, with my throat hoarse and my face drying, I was able to pick myself up from the carpet and put everything away. I'd scheduled movers to come by and take care of some of the heavier stuff. They were supposed to take the TV, but I decided to hang on to it. Putting it into my car, I drove home and let it sit in the middle of my living room, not wanting to drag it anywhere else. The day had already been long enough. I made my way up to bed, exhausted and worried. I watched the ceiling. The room was dark, and the view above me looked infinite. My mind began to wander to memories, memories of the time I'd spent with my mother in the past year. Times where I'd look at her, see the gloss in her eyes or the way she moved across the room, and just tell myself she was getting old. All the crimson flags I personally watched hoisted high into the air, yet ignored. Those flags were all I can see now, 
armies of misinterpreted signs of aging marching across the battlefield. All my failings hoisted high. Raising my arms, I crossed them over my eyes. A different kind of infinity, one I could fall asleep in. I wasn't able to see the sunrise immediately, but enough of it was able to creep under my arms to create a pink sliver of light. Moving my arms, I saw the infinity was gone, and I crawled out of bed to get ready to see my mom. My house felt just as still as hers was, especially when I made it downstairs and I saw her TV sitting in the living room, reflecting the room and myself on its black screen. Pulling myself away, I headed into my car and started driving. On the way, I looked down and noticed the needle of my fuel gauge drifting towards empty. I thought for a moment about whether I could make it to the hospice and back with what I had left. I didn't want to waste my limited visiting hours waiting for my gas to fill, but it was a close call. Ultimately, I pulled into a gas station and pressed the nozzle into my car. Squeezing the pump, I watched the small digital numbers climbing higher and higher. Mom always used to try and get it to hit 20 exactly, and it's one of those habits I kind of just mindlessly try to replicate. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I watched the numbers blur together and release the handle. It revealed that I'd missed the mark. Digital numbers rating 2235. Paying my total, I once again got on the road. Part of me was dreading seeing her, at least seeing her in a place like that anyway. It was like accepting that it was real, and I didn't want to do it. Maybe that's why I stopped for gas, just to delay it for a moment. Once I got there, though, it sunk into me how this was reality. It was exactly like I was worried it would be, sitting at the side of her bed as she laid on her back, looking towards the ceiling. It felt like she wasn't even there. Thoughts of her flying over cityscapes filled my mind. I could feel her, though. The heat of her hands were giving off when I placed mine over them. A horrible feeling of guilt riddled my brain, and I wished more than anything I had a way to do things better. That I could get her help, not just some bed. Time seemed to move fast in there. Almost as soon as I saw her, I was walking out of the building and heading back home. I was surprised to see that as I pulled up to the driveway, there was a light emitting from inside my living room. It was soft and blue, flicking in and out, like something was passing in front of it. I turned off my headlights and watched the display from my driveway before getting the courage to step out of the car. Slowly, I walked up to my steps and walked across the porch to try and peek through the curtains. My heart rattled as I looked inside my house to find that the old cathode ray TV in the middle of the room was on. The rest of the house was dark and I didn't hear any source of movement, 
But watching the TV, it was clear the nature of the old TV was causing the flickering light. Unlocking my front door, I stepped inside and looked at the TV with the same skepticism I would give an intruder, like the thing had violated my privacy. I could feel myself unintentionally keeping my distance from it, like I was worried it would attack me. Closing the door slowly and turning on the lights, I felt myself a little more at ease and able to approach the TV. With the lights on, I was able to see very clearly that the plug for the TV was still resting on top of it. I tried to figure out why the TV would be on, wondering if something like a residual electrical charge was a thing. As my fingers started to press down on the power button, the snowstorm of static on the TV started to shift. It should have been impossible for the TV to be picking up on any kind of signal. Even so, an image began to form on the screen. Dumbfounded, I rested my finger on the power button, interested in what shapes would be revealed behind the static. I thought that perhaps I'd fallen asleep, maybe too tired to get out. I passed out and my car and was still sitting in the driveway because what I was seeing had to be a dream. The static was clear enough for me to see an overhead shot of an instantly recognizable car driving down a very familiar street. The camera angle shifted like it was on a dolly until I was able to get a glimpse of the driver inside. Turning my head, I looked at the living room around me, feeling much more alien than before. I observed every nook and cranny, every spot of light, and every shade of darkness, looking for anything out of place, thinking maybe someone was somehow messing with me, or perhaps there was some otherworldly creature watching me. There was nothing, though, just me and the TV that I was pulling my attention back to. I watched, bewildered, able to see myself driving. I shifted my vision for a moment to my arm and realized I and the me that was on the TV were wearing the same thing. I saw myself look down at the car's dashboard and let out a sigh. It dawned on me I was seeing myself from earlier the same day. Out of the window of my car I could see the gas station that I stopped at earlier, but instead of stopping, the TV showed me driving by it. The version of myself that I was watching on TV had decided not to stop. The scene changed, and it was darker. I watched from the car window as I left the hospice and entered the vehicle. Sitting in my living room, watching myself, it felt like someone had injected me with some nerve-numbing agent. I just couldn't pull myself away from the screen. As absurd as the vision was, I needed to know how it played out deciding not to stop at the gas station. As the version of me on the screen drove home, he looked down at the meter again and must have noticed the gas was running lower than he thought. There was a heavy sigh from him that seemed to stir up the static like it has, was reacting to the sound. Same gas station came into view. And he started pulling into it and rested the car next to the same pump that I had used earlier in the day. He started to exit the car, 
and the view followed after him until I was able to see myself standing there filling up the car. I was surrounded by the yellow glow of the gas station's overhead lights. I could see in my eyes that I was drained. Even through the static, I could feel that the copy of myself on the screen was staring off into infinity. His mind was emptied and his actions aimless. And I wondered what had happened to me at the hospice that drained me like that. With his fist still clenched tight, he started pulling the nozzle out of the car, and as he carelessly pulled it loose, he slipped. A part of the nozzle scraped against the car as he tried to get his footing, causing a small spark to appear. It was tiny, but against the white static, I could see a speck of red drift and make contact with the still-flowing gas. There was a flash whole screen engulfed in a bright yellow. A noise rang out, a loud bang as if someone had put a magnum right next to my ear and pulled the trigger. I reacted by throwing myself backward away from the TV as the thing had just snipped at me. Fingers spread on the carpet and a ringing in my ear. I stared at the TV that had returned to the dark screen it had when I left in the morning. Again, the screen sat there looking like the ceiling of my bedroom always had. A land of endless possibilities. I'd just seen what would have happened if I had not chosen to get gas. I'd seen the outcome of a different decision, and it ended with that. Such a simple choice meant the difference between me making it home or not. There was no way I could sleep. I didn't think I'd be able to. I would just sit there wondering what I'd just witnessed. Instead, I tried to figure it out. I looked over at the TV, trying to see if there was some alternate power source. I'm not sure what I was looking for, though. Maybe even the smallest inkling of a rational explanation where there wasn't one. As I stood in the living room, staring down at the object in front of me, I considered what I should do with it. I didn't want to throw it out, so I thought it might be okay to just put it in the basement where I could ignore it. But I was too curious, and wondering about the TV felt like the only thing that was keeping my thoughts away from my mother. I even wondered if it would be able to show me what would happen if I had caught my mother's illness sooner, if I had been better. So I decided to let it be, and maybe I could see a better life for my mother. As I had thought it would, it turned on again, calling back the static. Specks of white and black drifted around the screen until the image, as expected, shifted. Though where I was hoping to see my mother, I instead saw my living room with me standing in front of the TV. Biting my nail, I watched as I leaned down and grabbed the sides of the TV before hoisting it in the air. And I realized what I was watching. This was the timeline where I'd chosen to take the TV into the basement. I looked over at the basement door several feet away from me and then back at the TV. The copy of myself made his way over to the same door, resting the TV on his forearms to free a hand that was able to turn the handle. The basement door swung open and with a careful flick of a nearby switch, I saw light emit from the doorway. 
Slowly, the copy of myself stepped down the stairs, trying not to topple over, but I knew he was shaken from what he had just watched. I know, because I was still shaken. I couldn't understand why I would immediately need to put the TV in the basement. You could have waited, right? If I'd decided to bring it downstairs, could I have waited? The camera followed behind me, and from over my copy's shoulder, I could see the cord on the top of the TV slide off, but my copy couldn't. There was a soft thud as the cord landed on the wooden step, and when my copy tried to shift to see the source of the noise, his foot landed on the cord, and his ankle rolled in response. It all happened entirely too fast. With his foot still holding the cord down, my copy started to fall forward. The TV came loose from his hands and he tried to grab the nearby railing, but his momentum was too much to brace. He fell over the TV and flipped down the wooden stairs, twisting his arm behind him. I could hear each impact as his body tumbled to the bottom of the steps. When he hit the bottom, I could see that the arm that had twisted on the way down was poking out at an odd angle, like the shoulder had been pulled from its socket. He shifted, trying to make it back to the steps, but clearly labored by the pain, his movements were slow. With his head resting on the final step, the camera focused in on his face. His mouth opened as he breathed, trying his best to catch a decent breath. His face squinted as he struggled to move, letting out noises I remember hearing when I cried in front of the TV not too long ago. Then I remembered the TV at the top of the stairs in that universe, the TV that no longer had him holding the cord in place. There were two soft thuds that crescendoed into louder banging as the TV gained speed rolling down the stairs. I could see in my eyes the understanding he had. This was the same me that saw myself die at the gas station. The same me that knew what the TV showed me. It was just a me that decided to take the TV downstairs. There was a moment of silence as my copy started to move, trying to avoid what was coming. But before he could even lift his head off the step, I saw the TV crash down right on the back of his neck. With his chin on the step, the TV pressed down hard. The copy's body went limp immediately. The TV... The same TV I was watching, this all unfold on, rolled off of him, crashing to the basement floor beside him, both dead and broken. I can't explain why that was the breaking point, but I felt my stomach churn. Hot acid climbed my throat. I was going to throw up, but I wasn't going to be able to make it to the bathroom. I ran to the kitchen, trying not to look at the basement door. I felt like I was down there, like I remembered being down there just seconds ago. As I tumbled into the kitchen, I looked at the sink and then the garbage can, ultimately deciding I couldn't make it to the sink and threw up into the trash. It all came out so fast that I barely had made it, warm chunks of my meal spilling into the garbage can, spilling on the very same cardboard boxes that housed the food previously. Once I finished up, I went over to the sink and let my mouth fill with cool water, drowning out the grit of my vial. With most, but not all of the taste gone, 
I started to walk away from the sink when I heard a crash come from my living room, a sound familiar to when my body hit the floor in the basement. Looking over, I could see on my kitchen counter there was a knife on the edge that I forgot to put into the sink. And before I even made it to the living room, I knew what I was going to see. On the TV, I saw myself, a version of me, that decided to try and make it to the sink so I could just rinse the sick away. The vision of me that stumbled as he struggled to hold it in, and as he did so, braced his hand on the counter. Instead of gripping the counter, though, his fingers laced around the knife, the very same knife that I saw sticking out of my throat on the TV as the life drained from my copy's body. Then, when life left his eyes, the TV turned off. I walked over slowly and knelt in front of the TV, placed my fingers on the side of it and my forehead on the glass. So very tired. I sat there as the static roared to life once more and shifted into an image of my mother and me. I was younger on TV. I could tell from my appearance that stress hadn't run me ragged yet. That version of me got up and walked over to my mother, told her that he was worried about her health. They got in a car together and started heading to the hospital. I could feel a smile washing over my face. Finally, I was doing something right. Not me, exactly. But the version of me on the TV was vigilant enough to see something wrong. The smile faded, though, when we were passing through an intersection and a truck breezed through the light, killing us both on impact. The static returned and my fingers clenched. Anger swelled over me, causing every nerve in my body to run rampant. I wanted to see myself fix things. Another image of my mother and me appeared in another instance, where I decided we needed to see a doctor. This time, though... There was an accident in the hospital that led to my mother dying right then and there. Pulling back my head, I slammed it forward, feeling my skull bounce against the hard glass. Another image, another choice, another death. This time I died choking on food, waiting for my mother's results. My hand, that no longer grabbed the TV, was balled up and swung forward, pinging against the TV as I screamed in defiance. Over and over, I hit the TV over and over. I watched either me or my mom pass away as all my past choices led to one or both of our ends. My knuckles split, spilling red onto the TV screen every time I made an impact, but I couldn't feel it. I just wanted to see a world where I did the right thing. But every single outcome just took her away from me sooner. Nothing got better. I had to watch us die dozens of times. I only noticed how much I had been screaming when my jaws became sore, or how much I had been crying until the taste of salt filled my mouth. Please stop, I said, lowering my fist to the crimson stained carpet below. Red flags. I'd missed them all, and then my carpet became soaked in them. The TV, almost as if it was responding to me, turned off. All I could see in it now was myself, 
but this time it was just a reflection of me, sitting broken inside the infinity. Time doesn't stand still, though. At some point, I had to get up. I had to wrap the mangled hand, and at some point, the sun had to rise. When it did, I got a call. A nurse telling me that my mother was in critical condition, that they didn't think she had much time left. I was out the door as quick as I could be, offering a cursory glance as I passed the gas station. As I arrived, I was led to my mother's room. They said they had taken her off machines and drugs, so she was lucid enough to speak that if I wanted to say goodbye, it was time, and then... It was just me and her. I sat beside her as she turned her head to look at me, offering a smile that was far too warm for this world. What happened to your hand? She said it like she had all the time in the world. I raised it. Red was starting to slip through. That's not important right now. I replied, reaching out with a hand I hadn't battered against the TV to hold hers. She looked at my face, deep into my eyes, in only the way that she could. It's okay to be sad, she whispered, her voice trailing in and out, a somber gloss pulsing over her words like waves against the sand. With her free hand, she made a gesture, and I bent over, resting my head on her chest, as she ran her fingers through my hair. Her breathing was so light I could barely feel it. I'm so sorry. I could feel my words coming out. They shook something awful, sounding like a jumbled mess. I couldn't save you. I continued, warm, obnoxious tears plummeting from my eyes, spilling into her gown. I couldn't. My words trailed off as I heard a soft breeze of air. Her attempt to quiet my troubles... It's not your fault. I could feel her aged fingertips rubbing against my scalp, like she was trying to mold my brain to take away the pain. You can't change the channel, dear. My lips stopped quivering as the words came out, and she lifted my head to meet her gaze. This is the one you're stuck on. You have to see it through. She smiled at me again. She had to have known. I knew that she knew. But through it all, her eyes, heavy and aged, started to close. My time with you was my favorite show. The smile she'd been putting on started to relax as the stiffness her body had before melted away. She was gone. But as I sat there looking at her, I couldn't help but think of when I was cleaning her house. Putting all the things we had both lived with in boxes. Remembering all the joy we shared, all the things we did. Even in the rough times, how much she still cared for me. I made a lot of decisions in my life. Not all of them were wise. Some turned out rather horribly. But I think I was seeing them all wrong. Getting to make those decisions beside her, I should have been cherishing that instead of thinking how to change it. Even if I was missing the red flags, I got to see a lot of those smiles. 
You have to live with your choices. You can't change the channel. You can only decide what you do moving forward from those choices. You are a butterfly shaping your future. Make decisions you won't regret, and if you do end up making a bad one, there are so many more ahead. The TV sits in my living room still, put in a corner. It hasn't turned on since I came home that day. I don't need to know what my other choices lead me to. I only need to handle the ones I've made. I miss and love you, Mom. I hope you enjoyed reruns by author J.R.T. McMahon, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash McMahon. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-C-M-A-H-O-N. Besides the two books mentioned before, you can find more of his individual works on No Sleep, as well as a few other collected stories of terror. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard about them here on this program and that Otis Gyrie sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure JRT would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured authors. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Chirey. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.